Hello and welcome to another episode of Crouching Tiger Hidden Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and I am joined, as always, by Vader. How's it going, Vader? Not so bad. How about yourself? Not too bad. Uh, the weather's been a little crazy here. It's been thunderstorming on and off every few days, and then going from like 60 or 50 degrees um, Fahrenheit to like, let's go to 85. That'll be great. And then just be really humid. So it's springtime. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like it's just going to do like last year and go right into just burning, sweaty heat. And that's just not great. So. Oh well, it's mm-hmm. it's just the weather here. But it's I think otherwise, otherwise it's been been okay. Other than feeling like it's steadily getting warmer somehow. I don't know, like the climate's changing. Do you feel like the frog that was put in a cold pot of water and slowly being boiled? I'll let you know in about another year <laughs> when I'm boiling. Cool. <laughs> what are we recovering today, Dave? We are taking a look at two films, um, also because this is our second year anniversary episode, slightly uh, late, but that's just what we do. Um, <laughs> two years already, somehow. That's crazy. Mental. I think I think we're on episode thirty-one, but no one's no one's keeping score on that count. I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got lined up um, a little a little divergence from our normal um, kung foolery. We've uh, we've we've done a poll, an informal poll, and um, elected to split the difference between samurai and ninja action. So our first film that we'll we'll look at is Lone Wolf and Cub: Sword of Vengeance from 1972. And then the second film is a, it's not really a remake, it's an adaptation of an older um, novel called Owl's Castle from 1999. So I guess we'll kick it off with Lone Wolf and Cub, Sword of Vengeance. Um, Had you seen this prior to us covering it? I'm pretty sure I've seen this one. My brother had a bunch of Lone Wolf and Cub stuff, DVDs back in the day. Uh, and I can't remember if it was this or the TV show, mm-hmm. but it was probably this because it all felt very familiar. And I don't know how much this TV show replicates the movie. It, it's a so, little different. I've seen more of the TV show than the movies, but um, I think when I watched it, it wasn't the sort of vengeance version. It was the terribly cobbled together um shogun's assassin like where they just spliced together different movies and made it, <laughs> made it one um unintelligible uh baby cart murdering action movie yeah that sounds bad yeah so as i said i'm pretty sure i i i've seen this especially the opening sequence was very familiar to me um <clears throat> And the, yeah, like how we introduced, and the random lady trying to breastfeed the kid. He was, uh, he was, he, <laughs> yeah, he was hungry. It all seemed, very, yeah. <laughs> it all seemed it's it seemed all very familiar. Like I definitely had seen it, um, and the whole story seemed familiar. Um, yeah, I, and I do know of Lone Wolf and Cub mm-hmm. outside of the movie as well. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty interesting. It was nice that the um uh 
Koike Kazuo, the the creator of the Lone Wolf and Cub manga, wrote the screenplay for this. So it's you're not going to get a better adaptation than the actual author doing his own story again. Yeah, I'm sure you could be proven wrong, but in general, I would agree. <laughs> but, well, yes, I'm sure. But... Um, yeah. Are we going to talk about the cast and crew, or are you going to skip that because this is kind of a one-off? We're special? probably we're gonna we're gonna skip that. Um, I will at least mention that it's directed by um, uh, Misumi Kenji, um, and as I mentioned, Quake uh, Kazuo um, wrote it. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll just go into we'll grab a review. Maybe there's a synopsis that's better than the one I'm going to come up with in the, <laughs> on uh, Press for Time. What do we got for the reviews? Um, do you want a good or bad review? Uh, the good one first. I think we did bad one first last time. Probably. Who knows? Uh-oh. Um, she... Yeah, I got a phone call. I hung up. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, my computer started ringing as well. Stupid connected technology. Um, so you said bad review? Yes. Yes, okay, good. I think. <laughs> Helpfulness, show all, show one star. There is no one star. <laughs> show two star. Two star. There is no two, three star. Four star. I should just show me the lowest then. Okay, there's only 10 star reviews. <laughs> Hold on. It can't be just 10 star reviews. Okay, we've got a seven. And a six. There are no bad reviews. The worst reviews above average. We're going to do it. Warning, spoilers, entertaining, but also a bit unsavory is the title <laughs> from Martin Heffer. And this was written 29th December, 2010. Instead of enjoying the holidays, he was there right doing, doing the hard yards and writing reviews for old samurai movies. Good on him. Good on you, Martin. This film begins with the Shogun's executioner performing a disturbing killing of a small child. All to satisfy the Bushido code of honor and obedience. However, when the executioner's family is murdered in a plot and he himself is ordered to commit suicide, he decides that Bushido ain't all it's cracked up to, to be. <laughs> And becomes a revenge-oriented ronin. Bracket, masterless warrior. Oh, masterless samurai. Close bracket. Taking his very, very young son in tow. This is the very first Lone Wolf and Cub film. It led to more films and even a TV series. So it is obvious that the series was very popular in Japan. I noticed that the film was produced by uh, Shintaro Katsu. The same guy who starred in a very long string of wonderful Zatoichi films. Yes, Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Ah, I do know blind swordsman. And in many ways, this film played much like a Zatoichi film. That is, if Zatoichi was completely amoral, in fact, I am sure that many fans of the Zatoichi Toichi films would be put off by this amoral character as well as the many family unfriendly elements the family unfriendly <laughs> elements in this film such as a rather graphic 
rape slash murder. To me, this was just too much. Well, I probably will try watching another Lone Wolf and Cub film. If it keeps the same nasty tone, I'll probably stop after that. As I see it, the Toichi was very decent, but the ex-executioner (laughs) in this Lone Wolf film was hard to like or respect. He was much more tough to like. That's the point, though. He he wasn't the hero of the story. He's supposed to be the um the well, anti-hero. Be, yeah, he's, he's anti-hero. He's not the villain. He's just less bad than the other guys, or more bad, and, I guess, because he's killing them all. Yeah, but we all learn from any action movie that killing the bad guys is okay. Oh yeah, it makes you a good guy. Yeah, this is basically John Wick. The samurai. Yep. Yep. In a way. Yep, for sure. I just watched those recently, by the way. <laughs> I think every, I think everyone's watching those recently. I've never got around to it, so I wa- they, they mm. just hit Netflix, which was very clear, smart of them. And so I watched one and two while at work. <laughs> uh, so I can watch three, because I've heard good things about them. But anyway, yes, it is very much story of, of like the John Wick scenario. Um, but instead of his dog being killed, it his was wife. his whole family. <laughs> it, was, it was his wife, yes. So maybe a little bit more justified <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in his anger. I shouldn't say that because people like dogs. It was sad the dog died, that's for sure. It wasn't necessary. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I agree with you. I see what they're saying. It is a very brutal film, but to be clear, our anti-hero didn't rape any and murder anybody. No, he just murdered them. It was yeah. It was the villains, the the bandits, the criminals, mm-hmm. and he he ignored it to which makes him a bad guy in own right to ignore evil, so he could further his agenda. Because if he did something about it then, it would have caused trouble for himself and his own goals. Yeah. Although that said, then he just like wiped them all out later. He in the killed film. them all. So he probably anyway, could have. So, done... Yeah. <laughs> it could have just like... It would have just made the movie the shorter. Is... Yeah. <laughs> I guess the guy after. I guess the guy who's after wouldn't have arrived. Mm, yeah, he would have like stayed away. So. Anyway. What do you think of that review? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fair. Uh, but I will say, as a fan of the Zatoichi films, I do like this equally. So his, or the reviewer's statement that Zatoichi fans would not like this is um, biased. Is it correct? Okay, fair enough. Um, and yeah, I guess it is very dark, but I just, I took it, you take it in context. Yeah, and so oh, for sure. Doesn't seem to, and it's not done excessively like in your face like it's obviously violent and brutal and not very pleasant but it's yeah it's not like overly gruesome about it or anything no i mean it's pretty it's pretty explicit you don't have to guess what anything is they don't cut away it's just the it's fair the gore itself is limited yeah but it's definitely not family friendly as as the reviewer mentioned no 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 well, as I said before, like two few minutes in, lady goes and 
feeds the, the, the boy. <laughs> Rest feeds the boy, like, right on camera. Um, yeah, well, she had, a, she had PTSD from losing her own child, so. Yep. Who knows? And I guess that... It was. It is an odd scene to see someone just decide they're going to breastfeed some random kid, and yeah. think it's their own. But it, it, I think it sets up the the tone of the environment this film is set in. And I guess that's what I was trying to say about the violence before. It was a very rough period and place and time. Yeah, there's no. Um, the everything was kind of in shambles. Um, the government wasn't being solidified just yet, so there's a lot of lawlessness happening, and it's in its in its own way it's um a it can be i guess considered an apocalyptic scenario for the people that were living at the time even though that's not the end result of, of the, the time period well yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it in some ways uh, it was yeah it was yeah lawless bandits roaming people were being killed for no real reason and so it was a rough time and i, I guess that it sets up the scenario and that the, the tone of the movie follows that there's lots of people who are desperate. Yeah. And and I think the, the film, the way it kicks off, um, it doesn't really slow down. And there's also what it's showing you in the beginning. Isn't like a lesser version of what happened. So you're not really misled into going, Oh, it's this kind of movie. No, it, it tells you right in the beginning, this is what you're going to get. And it, it just continues with that for the rest of the film. Um, and what I, as it said, this this person review talked, uh, explained that the film starts with the executioner doing his job and executing and wiping out a family. And that's what he did because he believed in doing, being obedient. Um, but then he was, he was ordered to, com- to commit suicide, but it, it wasn't just because he'd been portrayed, um, framed. Well, he was framed he didn't for do. It, yes. Yeah, he was framed but a lot of that's told in flashbacks i actually really enjoyed the storytelling of this film because most it's that most of it's through flashbacks so we gain a greater understanding of why he is in the position he is through flashback uh and i thought that was it was done quite well yeah it was and i um just because of the nature of this this particular film series and the the kind of cross media that it, space that it occupies because it came from the comic series first. I I did have the opportunity to, to go through and read, or I guess reread in this case, the first volume and which encompassed the story of sort of vengeance. So I was kind of able to compare just at least mentally the pacing and scenes that are presented in the, um, the comic versus how they ended up kind of translating to the screen. And it's all, it's all pretty much present uh but i think due to the no well, the film with um the the manga itself is of course in black and white and kind of like the line work and everything translates pretty well into this kind of thing it's a little more violent because you can kind of afford to be um in in drawing something versus how they the it's none of it really feels neutered or anything it it just is um it's sort of artful in a way like the the violence on the screen it's all very choreographed so it doesn't feel as like harsh as it actually is as it, as it's occurring yep yeah i'd agree 
Um, I guess the main plot is we've, we've, that we've kind of covered is more the overarching plot to the series. Specifically for the plot of this, is he he basically becomes a masterless warrior and takes on jobs to earn money, and he basically says he'll do anything for money. Is that what a sign? What does a sign say? It has like a he carries around a sign. Yeah, it's just saying that he'll he'll work. He'll do odd jobs, and then he also will hire out his son. But it doesn't explain what that means. Yeah. So basically, he's there. He's doing anything to make money, and he's traveling around. And it starts... The main plot of this actual film starts with him being hired to take out um, like a, a leader of a family. No, it was like someone important. Who was it? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> <But> it, it <laughs> I don't remember because it just it's a, kind of a blur. But it, from what I remember, <laughs> it, it, that actually ties in with his own agenda. So he was more than happy to take on the job. Like it, it tied in with getting re- some I kind think, of vengeance. I think one of the people involved was one of the guys that had set up the um, his from downfall. The, yeah, from the family who... Yeah. Because um, all of it, all of it, orig- or officially is, um, or I guess unofficially, uh, the whole betrayal was orchestrated by the Yagyu um, ninja clan. Uh, yep. The the head of the the Yagyu clan wants to put his son or himself, someone in the clan, uh, into the position of the executioner because the executioner. Uh, mm, has a lot of power job basically. yeah it has a lot of power but it's not it's like it's sort of an adjacent job it's like it's not a direct line of power it's to the side so you can kind of get away with doing stuff um behind the scenes yes and the people is hiring him are trying to uncover another plot that i'm pretty sure this clan's trying to do and that's they're, why it ties um, in with his own agenda yeah they're it, they're trying to start um a, I want to say they're doing a coup against the shogunate, which is what they accused him of doing in yes, the first place. Which but is they were do, they were doing it, yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I kind of like that. It's like he's there's a plot within the overarching story. This is just yeah. one of the the lists, one of the people on his list, and he gets the opportunity yeah. to to get revenge. Yeah, because they they set him up specifically as a pawn in this larger scheme of things. But he, it's it's kind of like the best situation ever because well, aside from how it happens, um, he basically states that that the uh, the assassination kind of was successful, and and his personage as Ogamito is dead. So he's like, I don't have to obey, obey any of your rules because you killed me. So I'll just um, go do what I want. And kind of... Oh, yes, cause be, he, because he of the firm... Yeah. yeah. Walking, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Or yeah, and, and that, that's what it is, is when he's and he's wearing the... Um, uh, it's, it's not really a sacrificial the death robe. robes. Yeah. Yeah, the death <laughs> robes. The ceremonial robes um that you would put on to um commit uh seppuku. Um and he puts them on 
ceremoniously and then just says, oh, you you killed the executioner. And so now I'm I'm just a vengeful ghost, basically. That's the term, vengeful ghost, yeah. And so he sees himself as he's walking between life and death. Yeah, um, and, and no longer beholden to the hierarchy and rules in society. He just so gonna, he's given up he's his conscience. Gonna, yeah, and just do it. He's like, I'll become a demon to 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 take care of my revenge. And and fundamentally, that's like kind of a cool setting. Like, yes, it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense really, but it, it <laughs> does in the, in the scenario situation. And again, like we refer to John Wick, that's basically exactly what he's done in that. Like yeah. he's given up. And outside of our current societies, we obviously we don't go killing people randomly but in a a different world in a feudal japan setting it it, it kind of fits a lot more yeah it Um, it makes sense in the setting that they're they're working in yeah i mean whether or not it would play out that way i I'm a bit more dubious but the we can see that just the regular run-of-the-mill mountain bandits have a lot of power in this in this scenario so if that's not really any different than what he's doing, he's just better at it. And yeah. by at it means he's just really good at murdering people. And he and he has his own um, sort of legend uh, to aid him, whether you know whether or not he's consciously making use of that because I don't think he is. But people have heard of him; they know Ogami Ito the executioner and they're scared of him so people will like already kind of defeat themselves uh before they even start fighting him on occasion well and it's again a good piece of storytelling and the fact that they could have started off with him being betrayed and then him rebelling against the order to to commit suicide and then going off and doing his first quest from there but they didn't like they actually where it starts as his his uh, Ronin state uh, status um, with his son, he's obviously been doing it for a while because there's legends and stories being told of the samurai yeah, with, a, with, with, a, a young, with the baby cart, yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the baby. And so I really like that that it's kind of like there is this uh, infamy about him already um, that people have heard of him. Uh, they don't know it's the same person as the executioner, but they, they start to piece it together at yeah. some point. And I, and I like that because it kind of didn't spoon feed us in the storytelling. It's like, well, this is the character. He's already got a presence in this world. We just need to catch up as the viewer and yeah. understand. Um, and, I, and and again, just because we've mentioned again, John Wick did that as well, which I kind of liked. Yeah, he has his own Dude, mythos just, and they just, as the films progress unearth a little bit more of his backstory each time but not enough to like spoil anything it's just like little teasers little bits of mythology yeah. and you may the stories may or may not even be real and then we find out as the the films progress that parts of them you know may have been embellished in the in the telling but like the things that he did happened yeah you know? like all good legends they get yeah. bigger and bigger as they get retold um yeah, and and I think it's a good piece of storytelling to give, and it makes the world feel alive more than other films might that have to explain who this person is, why he's here, and what he did, and yeah, and every little piece of piece along the way. 
but all in all, I I think it's a fun film. It's a very good classic samurai film in my books. Yeah, I really enjoy this. I liked. Um, I think really my favorite moment is um, he, he's he's doing a, a a duel, an official duel with uh, the Yagyu clan heir, who's supposed to have been taking his um, position, I think, and the um, the head of the, or I guess the current head of the yagyu um oh the old creepy dude yeah it's uh i don't i don't think this is i don't remember if they're using jubei might be jubei yagyu um but the yeah the old official head of the yagyu clan is like supervising the duel from the distance with his crazy beard and big eyebrows but he (laughs) he's sitting there and he's like oh my um my son or maybe it's his grandson, but um, he's like, he's the better swordsman and he's chosen this particular ground. So um, Ogami Ito is like on, he's at a disadvantage. He's like, he can't win in this situation because the other guy, they have the same, they may be equal in sword skill, but um, he's not, he he has the sun in his eyes because uh, the the Yagyu guy positioned himself to have the sun in his back. So he has the advantage in the fight. But that that's not what what happens <laughs> because uh, uh, Ogami had he has you know he's carrying his son everywhere he goes so yeah in this case he has his son strapped to his back but he he tied on like a little mirror <laughs> onto his son's forehead so when he ducks a little bit the mirror like reflects the sun and blinds the the guy that he's fighting and he cuts the guy's head off but um I just yeah it was pretty badass it was it was pretty cool and the whole time I'm going like what. It's hard enough to like get a mirror to reflect kind of where you want it, let alone you can't see what the mirrors actually point at. What if his what if his son was turned the other way? Yeah, sort of like a butterfly. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> <"Ooh."> <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact is, is that the guy was bringing down a, a downward strike, and as he's ducking forward, it's going to be hitting his son. <laughs> yeah, first yeah. if he followed through, but it worked out, and, um, and he was blinded, and Ito won. But uh, <laughs> I just thought that that was great. And they, they have that in the, the manga too. It's um it's actually even funnier, I think, in the manga because the, the way that these um Daigoro is his son is drawn is like hilarious. It's I mean he's drawn like a little pudgy little kid, but he's so uh, just aloof and just kind of playing around. Oh, he's playing around every time, but it's always a serious moment. So he's just goofing around, you know, basically, yeah, like a butterfly's flying around. He's going, Oh, like that, and then his dad's just like murdering people, like at the, in the same moment and i think they they play with that a little bit because he's a little he's a little kid but they um they play with that in this one when uh he he sees the village the two little village kids playing with the um the little ball oh, yeah, and, the, and they're singing the poop song and so he's just like yeah, singing it rock. <laughs> he's just That's like right. oh poop rolls down the hill and he's like singing the song it's it's cute it's nice to have those little moments when the, the movie otherwise is so very serious and people are just getting murdered. But um, the, you got this little precocious child. And, and and he's just, he's present for all these moments too. So it's not like he's being hidden. He's just sitting in his little cart watching people get massacred. So, well, In fact, his dad uses the cart as a weapon. Well, it's, full of, it's, it's like full of weapons. It's an inspector gadget of, of baby carts. I like the bottom of the the pram was as late with a metal sheet so he could use it as a shield against bullets. Yeah. <laughs> he just flips it over and 
deflects uh, bullets. It's um, that's pretty cool. It was a good one. But yeah, all in all, it's just a movie about a masterless samurai who takes on bounty hunting jobs at its core. And that's what he does. And he's just super committed. Oh yeah, he doesn't stop for anything. Like, at all. Ever. And I guess what's unique about it is that the the culture of a samurai wouldn't dishonor themselves in any way like in the open to do something. They would die before being like uh put shame upon them whereas he that, that those kind of social stigmas don't bother him and so no, he's he, the same he threw it all away <laughs> like yeah literally and, and that makes it an interesting character because there's a scene where he has to go in to the bath the mountain bathhouses village where the bandits have got control over so he can be there when the, his target arrives and in a normal samurai wouldn't take the dishonor that was bestowed upon him by take like he they would have fought to the death. Whereas because of him putting it over his aside, his bushido aside, he was able to take that that shame. I don't know if yeah, it was an interesting scene. It's not that nice, but it was kind of shows it's, his determination. It's, it's handled as well as I think this kind of scene could ever really be handled. Talking about the the prostitute scene, yeah, right? yeah. Yep. I mean, it's 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 done well, like it's filmed well without feeling like gratuitous, even yeah. though it is slightly. Um, I don't know. I didn't yeah. feel I didn't feel bad watching it. I'm just like, okay, that's just this makes sense in in context. The the part I wanted I thought was interesting is that the people the the villagers that were in the room hiding in there they kind of mocked him about how he's a coward and he wouldn't defend, you know, he should fight. And then the, the, the lady who he protected by actually sleeping with her. Yeah. I don't think it's still not a good thing because it's, it's very bad what the, these bandits were doing, but she was like, you guys are idiots. Like what man can perform <laughs> if he's, if he's fearing for his life, like she, she knew that he was completely in control of the situation, despite what openly it looked like to the bandits. Yeah. And I just thought that was an interesting way of telling and showing character without him being a macho dude. Like he he looked submissive and he did as he was told. Um, but the fact is is that he still had control. Yeah, I mean the the, the point coming down to he could have probably just killed those guys anyway, but then that would have put him further away from the thing he's trying to do. Yeah. So he's he's willing and able to like set again set aside everything really um in in focus and pure focus for his goal um yeah but at the same time still he has a sense of like mindfulness he's not undo like any people that aren't directly involved he's not doing things that would involve them unless they're stupid and just involve themselves into it yes he's not um not crazy dude murdering everybody comes in contact with yeah just the ones that he just the ones that he wants to (laughs) and so he despite him giving up his his honor as bushido he does have an honor code to an extent yeah um so like he's not going to kill innocents uh and things like that so yeah that's why he's an anti-hero he's not a villain but he's not necessarily a good guy but he's not an evil guy either yeah this is probably the most one of the most clear cut examples of like walking that middle 
path between you could you're you're doing good things not really on purpose it's just it kind of turns out that way and you're willing to do bad things to get the thing you wanted to get done so yeah he's that I mean he's he's not he's not a good guy you know by any stretch of the word and i don't think he ever was but he has um that strong family tie i mean he's not gonna put his son in arguably any more danger than it's just going to happen um but that also he i think that was a very important scene when uh, he has his his before he begins his journey when he does the flashback he has his son after um his wife was murdered and uh he, he has the ball and then the sword and he's like tells his son if you if you pick the ball uh i will let you join your mother so that's you know okay that's not great but it makes sense in light of what he's trying to do. And then he's like, well, if you choose the sword, you can just come with me. And I'll, you're going to be part of this. Um, he's like, I probably it's the better choice for you to pick the ball. You know, and I also know you don't understand what I'm doing and you don't understand me. So let's just hope you pick the ball. But of course, his son picks the sword because he's now with him on the little the, the journey. Yeah, and, and I guess it attests to some of the the spiritual beliefs of of that era would be it, believing in a, a form of fate that things are meant to happen. And so, yeah, it, it's just it's an interesting form of storytelling from a different cultural cultural perspective. Yeah, I, I'm pretty um stoked to like read further into the to the comic and then check out some more of the films. Uh... I mentioned I was watching the the TV show. I need to get also back into that somehow. I don't <laughs> find time to do all these things, but I, I did really enjoy this one. Yeah, no, same. It was, it was good. It was a good summary film. Um, and it's just cool. Like it's been a while since 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 I've seen an old samurai Japanese film. And when I was in Japan a few years ago, I went to a studio where they used to make some of these films. And it's cool just seeing the sets. And it wasn't wasn't the sets I was on, but the set, this place, the shoot I went to, the sets were used in a lot of these older um, period piece films. And it's it's just cool having that kind of connection in a random way um, to them. It's cool. Uh, how does we got asked? Does this movie tie in with the storytelling of Sekiro, the most recent From Software video game? On um, this one. Uh, thematically i think it touches on the same some of the similar things it's similar time period um we do get the uh i think how the shogunate in in particular this thing is being portrayed and and the period of time where there's a coup going on those things it's like a one-to-one. It just goes right into uh, what's going on with the Ashina um, castle and yep. their their behavior after the war that's happened. So it's you could draw parallels that way. Um, and then another thing you can look at is while um, Sekiro and Kuro aren't specifically in this relationship that um Ogami Ito is you know has with his son Daigoro uh it's similar and they're they're um 
in Sekiro, he's going after um, Genichiro. And then you can kind of replace Genichiro and Ishin with um, uh, the Yagyu clan. Oh, yeah. Or I guess te- technically the Yagyu clan would be Owl. The Owl faction that's that's going after the Ashina um, estate. So the coup is being is being done by um, the the Interior Ministry and uh, the help of the Owl uh, Ninja Clan. So that would be the Yagyu's in this case. Okay. Whereas the, where whereas the Shogunate would be um, the uh, Ishin Ashina and um, Geichiro. So it's not yeah. like it's not it's not a one to one comparison, but thematically it fits. Uh, and there are some similar. Uh, yeah, it's it's similar. It's not going to be like a you can't just go this and that. Now you can also look thematically at what um, uh, Sekiro himself is using the the prosthetic tools and the variety and some of the weapons he has do tie into what um ogami is using on his baby cart oh yeah good point i didn't think about that because he he pulls out the pole arm and stuff doesn't he mm-hmm. just kind of like the spear and the and the prosthetic yeah and then if he's flipping the cart over with the metal sheet in it it's the same as the loaded umbrella so there's there's things you could compare them to um the cart to the prosthetic arm interesting i i don't think this is an inspiration to for two from software for the game but it's cool to see that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's a direct inspiration, other than the fact that it's like a, a seminal cultural touchstone in Japanese cinema uh, and yep. in just entertainment. And, 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 and there's people that just, no one's not gonna know what this is. So yeah, it's more, it's, more indirect than maybe directly yeah. influencing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that they're pulling anything directly from this, but you could make those tie-ins if you wanted to. As we just yeah, did. <laughs> we did? Or you did. Uh, <laughs> um, do, are you ready to move on to our next film? Uh, let's uh, what, uh, grab, grab the top review for this one, uh, whatever uh, number 10 is. Okay. Beauty Among Slaughter by Joel Go 13 and this was written 17th of November 2002. The first entry in a series of masterpieces, based very strongly upon the manga series Lone Wolf and Cub, is most likely the best film series derived from comics, and truly great films as well. One cannot base one story on a single comic. There are so many elements in each. There is a basic story, but oftentimes they are are mixed with others. Little things are thrown in as well. Normally, it would make any less make any less a film seem crammed or just forced in, but is pulled off brilliantly. This film, the first entry, is largely a setup for the sequels, but still brilliant. From its beautiful uh, camera shots to the extremely gory aesthetic fights, it tells the story of how the main character, Ogami Ito, was exiled from his royal position as the Shogun's decapitator. (laughs) (laughs) It flashes from past to present until the entire past story is told. The ending fight is a great climax. 
The sword work, although at times seems fake, is brilliantly choreographed. The gore is in the film is not overly done, but rather thrown in to give it an aesthetic feel, as if you're watching a movie paint, painting. Oftentimes, one may think every every scene could very well be a painting. Some aspects of the plot may seem odd to the most Western audiences. The scene where Ogami gives his son a choice between a ball and a sword, or rather life or death, may strike many people as cold. However, one must understand Bushido and know that the way of the samurai is life and death. Ask yourself what would be worse, taking your son on a trip as you kill men beyond number or giving somewhat, giving somewhat of a choice. This film is truly beautiful and hold up today as not just one of the greatest samurai films ever made, but films, period. It's good. It kind of covered a few things we touched on, like with the the, yeah. the boy and the, the ball on the sword. Um, and culturally, do you have to view it from the perspective of what we understand that what the world was like back then in Japan? Um, yeah, interesting review. Yeah. Oh, one thing that I did want to touch on before we, we moved on was the um, the character of uh, Ogami Ito, and then specifically um, the the actor uh, Wakayama Tomisaburo. He's a solid man. He's <laughs> larger and a little bit hefty that makes him imposing like physically and also the the character is supposed to be that way because people go out of their way to say that that they're kind of scared of him physically like he's threatening when when you when you look at him because he's larger and stronger than, than most of the bandits yeah, or most of the other people in the in, in the story so i think that just yeah. adds to his like legend or a legendary status. Yep, definitely helps. Um, yeah, I, I gained the the some of the fighting did seem a little staged, like you could tell. And I know we know all movies are staged, but yeah, but in general, I think they portrayed the katana style well in that it was very quick. And... <laughs> Maybe except for his um uh. I don't remember if it's like Suiken, his water style that um, Ogami Ito uses, where he has to be in the water to use it really well, which I think was a little funny. Oh, yeah, that was kind of funny, yeah. He's like, the <laughs> it's another narrated fight by the Yagyu clan head. And he's like, oh, no, you fool. Or I think that, so his grandson must have been the early one because he's like, he's like, you fool, you've, you've jumped into the water with him. Now he's going to use his water sword. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you just kind of. Well, it was a little cheesy, you're right. It was a but cheesy. it kind of, it makes sense of the style of, of biting that there were different stances and different stances were better than others and suited for different scenarios. And so yeah. I get what they're trying to say and trying to do, uh, but and, yeah, you're right. And I think it was a little cheesy. Um, without having read more of the, of the, uh, the manga, I don't know if they get into it, but what I would think that the water style in particular in relation to his, his family status as the Royal executioners is that when you're going to, before you execute somebody, you're going to purify your sword with water when they get a little ladle and put it on the blade. Yep. So I think that that's what that's 
about. Like that's they why they us. use that water style. Because your sword's, then he your sword's his always like wet. He, yeah. He, he hid his blade under the water so you couldn't see what direction it was coming from. And, was I mean, and it? maybe it speeds it up because you're fighting against the um, the water resistance and then all of a sudden when you get out into open air there's no resistance so your blade's going to go quicker. I don't. I mean, I'm not justifying it but that's what maybe it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, but I guess you can't see the grip either because he crouched down. Yeah, you can't see, see what he's grip. doing. You're like, well, he's... so is he coming? Is he going for an overhand or an under underarm or a yeah. side swipe? And so it's harder to to the first few yeah, the judge. first millisecond of reaction time is taken away from you because yeah. you can't see what's happening. I mean, regardless, it works, and he kills him. It was water yeah. blade. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's. Lone Wolf and Cub's Sword of Vengeance. Uh, and the choreography could have been done uh, due to the movie being made from 1972. So <laughs> maybe the later films, uh, that gets cleaned up a little bit. What what year did you say? Isn't it 1972? 72, yeah. Yeah, I thought you said 80-something. I was like, hold no, on. I was like, sorry. <laughs> 72. I yeah, so it's, it's old. What's yep. that, going 47 years ago? Uh, Yep. Something like that crap <laughs> it's a little, yeah <laughs> and it's only in the 70s yeah all right what is up next owl's castle from 1999 only 20 years ago we're getting a little closer yeah this film looked way like it was done way older though i think some of that has to do with the transfer um this was not released unsubtitled um in, it may have had a Western release, but I know it didn't have an American or a U.S. release for sure. So I think this was just an encode um, because there was a little bit. There was parts where the the movie, like the frame rate, would like skip, and then there was some bit of blockiness. But the uh, this is an early adapter of um, extensive CG use, and it uh, looks like it. <laughs> And green green screen or yeah, or painted backgrounds. Yeah, and they're di- digitally painted backgrounds, which was even worse. But um, and the one digital flying head parts bad. But I think overall the aesthetics of it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know where to start with this one. To be honest, I don't know. Start well, with reviews. Yeah, yeah, let me click on the thing. So. Uh, I will I will read the synopsis that has been provided to IMDb. As the great military commander Nobunaga Oda was consolidating his power across Japan, one of his actions was to wipe out a clan of assassins, killing every man, woman, and child he found in the village. Years later, one of the survivors has hired a young but skilled assassin to avenge the deaths of his friends and family. His mission to sneak into the most heavily guarded castle in Japan and kill the supreme ruler of the country. Yeah, we'll be. I'll, I will be filling in um, that a little bit more because it's not very specific. Uh, I guess we can go to the. We'll do a good review on this one first. Good review. I'll choose a long one so at least tells us stuff. Ha. Oh, that'll do. Uh... I'm going to do this one because of the title. Go away if you still think ninjas are turtles living in the gutters of New York. 
This is written by What Does One Know? 7th of December, 2001. Shiba Taro is a historic novelist. The reason why ninjas in this movie don't make use of James Bond gadgets to make their way through booby-trapped castles and end the story in a big explosion is because this movie isn't the 2001 ninja flop Akakage. And those things never happened. Don't give me that they totally messed up history in the... What the heck is this guy talking about? Messed up history in the Gladiator, but still made a Russell Crowe movie out of it. Look. What? Okay, so I think that that's saying they... Unlike Gladiator, which just fictionalized the Gladiator history... Um, this yep. is more accurate than okay. other ninja movies. Okay, that was just a weird way to explain it. Yeah. Shiba Ryotaro's uh, work is in- interesting because it is historically plausible. That said, the amount of action they they did manage to put in the movie is realistically good. Realistic is the key word because ninjas really did exist. So why <laughs> don't you give them a break for once and try to look at them for what they were. This isn't about turtles living in the gutters nor kids left home alone. I know it's hard to imagine, but these people were real and that's why this movie deserves to be watched. The color palette of the movie is really beautiful and the action is shot seriously. They actually had a mercenary... Uh, choreograph the hard hand-to-hand combat scenes he wasn't a fancy martial artist expert but he had so he did know how to kill people the Kai Kitsu is adequately stoic as the survivor of a clan determined to assassinate uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi and Mako's cunning eyes and sneer recreate the crafty strategist who unified Japan. That was a bad review. (laughs) You've chosen poorly. Yeah, I have. The title was funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Uh, I'll interject and we'll actually talk about the director briefly. Um, So this was directed by uh, Shinoda Masahiro. And I wasn't, I didn't look at that when I, before I watched the film, but I have actually seen multiple films by this director, um, uh, through, um, like film studies courses, actually, um, surprisingly, I got this one. So, um, there is, uh, uh, double suicide in 1969, um, uh, that was good. Guns of the Spearmen in uh, 1968 and Ballad of Orion in 1977. A lot of these were based on um, it was a, a play a playwright uh, Chikamatsu, who who did these like they're they're famous. It's like Shakespeare kind of like these famous stories. So the director had adapted all of those, and they were very well put together and. I can see, like, afterwards, I see hints of what the director had done 
um, in in Owl's Castle, but at the same time, it's like. I don't know if I want to say this is the worst movie <laughs> that the directors made, but uh, in light of how they dealt with, I think the CG and some of the more garish like costuming. So I think a lot of it was maybe down to just production. Um, th- this uh, at the time, I think it was a fairly high grossing film in Japan. Uh, it just wasn't very famous outside of Japan. Um, but the the director's earlier works are far better received um internationally than uh owl's castle and i think the as as a film owl's castle is maybe one of the least good ones that this director has done um just on set design and kind of things like that which i, I know that's part and parcel of not the director doing those by hand. So um, it could have been down to, like like I said, the the production company, I don't know, but I was, I was happy with how the movie was. I think until I, I went back and I did watch um, Castle Vowels, the original film from 1963. And it's, it's the exact same story, but you're getting a better film along with the package, I guess, would be what happened. Yeah, this was just too convoluted for me. Like, just I couldn't keep track of the characters. I couldn't work out people's motivations. Um, I don't know why he decided to sneak in. Like, he was this weird kind of playboy character, like, going around grinning at everybody. He, he seemed to do a good job, the main actor. But, like, he seemed to be just cruising around the place and then all of a sudden decided to sneak in like why didn't he just do it much sooner like i just didn't the, understand yeah the pacing what? was a little weird um the original it's not really the original film because both movies are just ad- adaptations of a novel um this yep. isn't this isn't really remaking the film it's just readapting the novel but in the in the first completed film castle vowels the the timeline is much shorter or at least it's like more ambiguous so everything feels very measured out he still has that same um i say he but it's the uh the, the um uh, juzo uh, tuzura juzo is the, the main ninja in the film uh he still has that sort of playboy demeanor that's just how he is so that that part i think is just comes with the character but he's far more focused on getting the job done to the exclusion of other things. He's like pushing anything else kind of out of the way. And the only thing that's slowing him down is he's continually um, kind of assaulted by Gohei, his uh, former kind of best friend. Yeah. Former ninja from the clan, but is now sided with the military. Yes, and then that's not the case in um in the the, the first film. Uh, Gohei, it, it, he's not really with the military. He's with um that that lower lord. Um, uh, I don't remember. But see, it didn't, it didn't make it clear why. Yeah, well, yeah, I I didn't know from the movie. It does show because he ends up getting caught. Yeah, and he's the one blamed for sneaking in to to take out the shogun. The shogun, right? Was the shogun they were after? Yeah, they're after um, 
Yes, the the Shogun. Uh, um, and he gets blamed for it, but in fact, he was the one who was. This is so he's trying to catch yeah. Juzo. Yeah, the main character. Like, but then the, but why was he after Juzo in the first place? Okay, so when he's not what, like it just yeah. didn't so, make any sense. <clears throat> what I happens get that he changes goals. Yeah, he's working. Um, he took a uh, a stipend from Imai. Imai is the uh, he's like a minister underneath underneath the, the shogun. So that in this movie, that's the guy with that already has his hair. Like it's not in a top knot; it's too short. Yep. So he's part of the the ministry somewhere, and um, he is aiming to kind of get rid of the shogun. He he wants this done. Oh, but, so it was. Yeah. So he's he's trying to instigate a betrayal. And he is working together, I think, with the um, the merchant that hires uh, Juzo. But he, merchant? Uh, it, 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 yes, <laughs> there, was, the, there was like the blacksmith people, but they were just remnants of the the ninja clan, from what I understood. Yeah, and they were trying to get revenge at times, but were failing. Mm-hmm. But there's the merchant that specifically hired them to go kill uh, Hideyoshi. Oh, see, you know, none of this made sense to me. Like, it just and there was like three different lady characters that kept turning up, and they all seemed to love Juzo. And I don't know if they who they were. <laughs> Some were ninjas. <laughs> there was the acrobat okay. one. Yeah, there's two. There's was two the, women. Um, I thought there was three. I swear there was three. Yeah, there's Kohagi and Kisaru. So there's Koha- the younger one. Yeah, was the one that was buried Ki- in the ground to survive. Yeah. yeah, Kisaru is part of the um, uh. Iga, the Iga Ninja clan. So Juzo and Kizaru and um, uh, uh, Gohei. And then all the blacksmith guys, the, the sword sharpeners. Those are all Iga Ninja ninjas. They, those are the ones that were, their clan was wiped out by um, uh, Nobunaga Oda. And then the um, Koga ninjas, that's going to be Kohagi. So Kohagi is the adopted daughter of that merchant. That's the one that he Juzo sleeps with, uh, and, and keeps and keeps messing with him. Yeah. Well, they talked about how she was gonna get him killed, but I was like, I didn't understand that. I'm like, where did she come from? She she was a she was um adopted by the merchant at a young age, um after because there's a there's the the war that was going on like ten years before the setting of this, where where all the ninjas were killed, the um. They were killed by the government, and they were just, uh, they're like rival clans with the, the Iga and Koga ninjas are rival clans. They both, sometimes they work together, sometimes they work against each other. Um, but once the, uh, once Nobunaga took power, he murdered all the Iga and then took the Koga ninjas under his control. And that's who like, she is. Like historically. She up- yeah, she's part of, well, she was part of the Koga ninjas. And... After our main character gets hurt, and yes. she, he runs off to her place. Had he even met her before that? Because I swear yes. she, he hadn't. He uh, slept. He slept with her in the very beginning of the movie. 
uh, mistake. I didn't. So the the, the the lady that he sleeps with in the brothel, that's her. Oh yeah, and she's also the one that sent the dudes to go. The um, she tried to trap him by sent by sending him to meet who he thought was the merchant, but it's just those three bandits by the um the big Buddha statue. That's right. I forgot about how that worked. I, to be fair, I did watch this over like two weeks. Um. Yeah, and it's it's a it's not a like it's a it's not a straightforward film. So that's her. So when she shows but up I, with the umbrella, that's the same girl. Okay, because then there's the young girl who works for the acrobat group. She was one of the, one of from his clan, and that's she the, was that's the girl in the beginning that was put into the little hole. Yeah, and she loves him. Yes. And then there's this weird f- part of the movies about the other guy who betrayed their clan and him fighting okay. over her. Yeah. So, <laughs> like... so what it is is um, the other the ninja that's leading the um, revolt. So not Juzo, but the guy that's leading the uh, the, the the sword sharpeners yep. is Kurami. Kurami is Kizaru's father. And he he uh, promised her to Gohei, the traitor guy. But but before he was a traitor, like when they were, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. way before. So Gohei is is by word affianced to Kisaru. Kisaru doesn't like Gohei. She thinks he's a traitor. He is a traitor, and she likes Juzo instead. Juzo doesn't care because she's a child, and he's busy trying to go kill the Shogun. Well, is he busy trying to kill the Shogun? Because there's a lot oh, he, of fluffing he, around. <laughs> <laughs> he could have gone straight there. He Well, he's also trying to figure out, um, because Gohei keeps attacking him, and there's other, that, uh, yeah. other factions moving around. Because so, so anyway, Gohei took a stipend from, he, he doesn't want anything to do with, he doesn't like the lifestyle of the Koga Ninja. Plus the whole ninja clan was killed, mostly. Well, yeah, that seems the biggest yeah. motivation. Yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to be a fugitive, fugitive ninja. So he makes a deal with um, Imai that he'll sell out the Koga for a, an official position. Uh, he'll become a samurai, basically. He gets to move. He gets to change classes because ninja is not a, like, a valued class in like regular yep. society. So um, Imai said, I'll give you a 300 koku like that's like rice uh amount of land it's like a lot for a, a minor person uh and i'll give you that and i'll give you a position as as a head of i think it's a division of soldiers uh and your job is to basically root out um any koga ninjas and then use your knowledge about them to tell you know tell me and you're going to be See, working I- with the uh, sorry, the Ika ninjas. You're going to be working with the Koga ninjas, and that's um, okay. Has a funny name. Marish uh, Tendogen is the head of the um, Koga. That's the guy with the funny beard. Yeah, I, this is all lost on me. I, I couldn't keep <laughs> up with what was going on. I, I just can't understand the motivation. So, why was this lord interested in tracing down our hero's clan? I can't remember the names of the clans. They're too similar. <laughs> um, he there didn't seem a reason. Like as if he was trying to betray the Shogun. So wouldn't yeah. he want Jizu to go kill the Shogun? Like I just it 
none of it he, seemed he, to be yeah, plausible. He, he wants them. He wants him killed, but if it doesn't work, he can't like lose his own position. So he's 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 like half-heartedly doing this. And the guy that's and really it's... trying to get him killed is the merchant, which is the father of um, or the the, the adoptive father of Kohagi. He's who hired specifically the Ego Ninjas, because See, what he wants, what he wants, wants to, to happen in the first place. Well, what he wants to happen is um, uh, Hideyoshi is causing a problem for that area of Japan. It's it's it had been united and. Um, the his succession is um out out of play because his son died of sickness so yes, the, the, were rebelling. so so yeah so there's it's causing strife because his power is going to be gone he doesn't have a, an, a direct heir to to the well, to, he, the throne well i think i remember correctly is that he hadn't been seen in a while like cuz he's old and sick yeah he's going like crazy it's a people who just um well so it's 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 causing a lot of issues yeah he's a yeah he's a figurehead but he's still in control of things because he's sending everyone to war he wants to go to war with the ming in china but to do that he has to go through korea because that's the easiest path Uh, that's right there's this weird like oh we're having a battle in korea and it was all just like told like by narrator there's a battle in korea i'm like what what does this have to do yeah that's because um once his son was killed and he he went crazy because he has no heir he committed the armies to go attack the ming by going through um korea yeah and they're they haven't done that yet they're going on their way to do that and so the the merchant doesn't want that to happen he's like i don't want it's already crazy here i don't want him to go to, to go to war um I need everything to be more stable so I can make money. So is that why the sword sharpener guys had that whole scene where they were trying to, at the play, they were trying to make a move? It was because the merchant hired them to. Yes. They were all supposed to do this stuff together, but they were betrayed, so all, they all get killed. Yeah. And Jezu, our main character, like that's the thing, like he seemed to just float in between groups and didn't seem to be doing anything. Until right at the end, he decides he's finally going to go sneak in and does it like super easily. Yeah. And then doesn't even kill the Shogun. No. So um, well, I think what, we, was just... what we skipped that's very important is the very beginning of the movie when uh, we first meet Juzo. So Gohei left the clan and he's just doing crazy stuff like basically betraying the clan. Juzo, knowledge to yeah, down Juzo didn't do that. He put himself into exile and he's like paying for past sins because he's killed a lot of people and he's just dealing with that. And his clan's dead. He has not there's nothing much to do. So he's basically become a hermit, and that's why he's carving all the um Buddha statues in his little temple. Yeah, and that's the part I thought was cool. Like those aspects of this film, I thought were cool, especially because that's like a direct, yeah, tie to Sekiro. <laughs> um, so, but so that being the case, was... because he's removed himself from like society, he's not doing this job like on purpose. Uh, Kuroami showed up and was like, "Hey, I'll just give you this bunch of money. You got to help us out, you know, with this one last job." 
Who was that that showed up? The Kuroami is the other. It's like his one of his instructors. It's like a, a higher up in the clan. That's the father of Kisaru. Is he's the head of the sword sharpener guys? Yeah, boss. yeah, yeah. So Hisu shows up and uh, tries. But to then he goes him. back. Because that's the thing that he was there. But then, like, late half of the through the movie, he goes back and he's at his place carving again. And I'm like, when did he go back there? <laughs> uh, so he he left because he didn't think the all, all the security tightened up because he found out that Gohei is working directly with um, the the security. Like, yep. every, everything, um, once that, uh, once that play thing failed, all the security in the castle tightened up and he didn't think he could get in. So he's like, well, we just, you know, we'll have to call it a wash and I'm just going to go back to the mountain because no one can pay me and I can't finish the job. So I have to go back. And then so he, so someone came and commit. Yeah. But then like the lady came in. Yes. Which to tell him was that was <laughs> K- Kohagi. Because Which she's the young one. she's no, it's the other one. She's the uh. one, she's the one that's um in the rival clan. Okay. So she's bas- they're basically to... threatening him. They're like, "You're gonna have to do something, or we're gonna kill you." So and it was the random dude that was under the ground in the bamboo forest. So that is <laughs> that? <laughs> that is um uh, Hattori Hanzo. That's like a that's super famous sword ninja in this thing he's a ninja but um uh. <laughs> he is em- he's employed uh i don't know actually i do not remember who hired him someone hired Just... him to watch over juzo and um uh kohagi what I'm trying to get at is that I there was just so much going on. There, there's a lot going on in this movie. None yeah. of it seemed to relate. <laughs> so and just motivations were all off, and yeah, it's it's yeah. a little confusing, and that and that's why I I wish I had watched the other one first because it explained all this stuff like way clearer, uh, way clearer, and it took time to like. Even though it's a shorter movie, I think that helped it because it, it had to be more concise with who was who, what was what. Um, yeah. And, and no, again, I, this could be down to the source material because these are both adapting. And I, you know, without reading the book, I don't know what they changed, you know, for, to, to, to make it a better movie or, or to, to make it filmable. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like a lot of it could be lost in historical context that we don't yeah. know. Because well, and, and that, that's the thing is Japan. all this is that whole. It's a, it's a historical setting. It's historical events. These things happened, and then they're just like, well, maybe these ninja guys had more to do with it. You know, that they're just kind of playing around with that part of it. Yeah, yeah, the historical novel. So it's based setting, yeah. as you say, setting is accurate, but characters aren't yeah um i don't know yeah i've been dramatic in my questioning you partly to express just i did not follow this movie (laughs) the the other one is better if you have a chance to watch the castle of owls uh it's it's better filmed it's better written i think uh it's easier to understand i didn't have any problem like I, i i understand some of the confusion because there was a lot going on and some of the people looked 
similar because they keep changing costumes. Yes, because, because, that, they're, that was because like they're that. ninjas, so they 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 change and pretend to be other stuff or pretend to be people they're not. Oh, that was I think what was funny was Gohei. He's perpetually just like trying to change his appearance, and that keeps just going wrong for him. Like they don't usually do that in this kind of movie, but he he's like, I'm just a wandering Gozaimon. And so the guy sees him later. He's like, that's Gozaimon. <laughs> he's like, that's not Gozaimon. That's that's the the Gohei guy. So that was kind of amusing. Yeah, and then just him. Well, yeah, I guess not to dwell on it because as I said, I can't remember most of the film and it just seemed to go wash over me. I did like <laughs> aspects of it. Like the ninja stuff was really cool. Didn't like fighting on the rooftops was badass. Um, yeah, it's it's again better done in the other movie. Like there's more ninja stuff in it, which I was surprised yeah. by. Now this had more fanciful ninja things. Like um, uh, I guess Maishten Dogen does a lot of crazy ninja magic. That was all pretty fun. He can like shape change his face. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't remember what else he did. He did some other stuff. There was too. some like he did some magic to stop the main guy at one point, and then he oh did yeah, his, he he did, he, his, he hypnotized he, he hypnotized him. That's right. He does ninja chant to break out. But I, I think the best part is when he's <laughs> when he's talking the first time to introduce himself to um uh, Imai. Pretty sure it's Imai. Probably could be getting it wrong but um he, he's to his employer and the guy's like i heard you were this crazy ninja but i don't believe it and so he hypnotizes him and then just hides in the corner of the room <laughs> it's really funny because he's just laughing because he has the evil evil guy laugh but he's just hiding up in the corner like a spider oh yeah i had no idea what that was about <laughs> I was like, what is this? He's he's threatening but, him. He's basically saying that you should hire me because I'll just kill you. Yeah, you I don't. didn't understand any of this film, basically. <laughs> but I did like how to move us along, how it tied in with Sekiro, and this seems to be more of a direct inspiration to some of the themes of Sekiro. Yes, this is like you can one-to-one this a lot more um, easily like the, than, than And Overcome. that's the part I really dug about this film. Yeah, and and that's why it's I like, originally watched it, and I was um I wasn't watching it for that because I didn't think about it. But this the the second we turned I turned it on, it's the sculptor scene, and I was like, this is this is Sekiro, like <laughs> this is it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so I was and super like, excited. And then it, did you notice the tapestry that's in front of him? There's a there's like a painting on the wall, and there's mm-hmm. a temple he sits in. Yeah, it's it's a painting of flames. Did you notice? Was that? it? Was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to rewatch that part. And just tying that in is because they, they even talk about at one point, I'm pretty sure about how he has this kind of burning hatred. Yeah. And he's angry that his clan was wiped out. Yeah. I almost, um, um, I would go as far as to say that this could, you could read this as not a, um, a, a direct secure tie in as the game progresses, but as a prologue. Like if you read him as the sculptor. Oh yeah. Yes, yes, for sure. And so this could be, yeah, thirty years later. He's, he's just he's the hatred's built up inside. I guess we're going to be warning for Sekiro spoilers because we're going to get into that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, he could be the sculptor. You're right. And he's passing on his shinobi skills to a, a new shinobi. A new ninja. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did, I did like that. The whole... Um, and even, even the betrayal of and being attacked, a clan being attacked, ties into the Hirata estate. Yeah, and well, and the fact that they're calling this um, Owl's, Owl's Castle or Castle of Owls. Um, well, yes, that's and an Owl himself. Yeah. And you're looking at the ninjas attacking the castle, um, which, I mean, it's a thing anyway, but uh, it, it just feels... A little bit more direct because they're specifically attacking the castle to get rid of the the head of the castle. Although, although in this they're not trying to get immortality, uh, and then uh, you could also, I mean, it's just an older Japanese gentleman, but um, Mako's character of um, uh, Hideyoshi is similar in appearance to um, Ashina Ishin. Oh yeah, I could see that. But yeah, I, I that was the cool part. How you could see there's direct inspiration. Yeah, just, like, just visually for the sets. Yeah, I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. Yeah, and I mean, this was a like as I mentioned, a super high grossing film in Japan when it opened. So. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that. Um, I, even the set design with the uh, the Bodhisattva, um, the the Buddha that's lying on the side. Yeah, you could look at that that Bodhisattva valley and kind of how. Oh, it's when he gets attacked by the bandits. Up. Yeah. Yep. Just going. Oh, we gotta have a fight. That's by uh, a Bodhisattva <laughs> that's fallen down. Yeah. Um. I can't think. Of, I can't think of any other direct ties. Except it's like, it's just very obvious with the the yeah. It's carving. it's it's all in like the 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 design of things and the look of it. Um, well, yeah, and the the carving that's the number yeah. one thing, and the the hatred, the the burning hatred that he 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 has, which ties in with the the carver who talks about how he's mm-hmm. carving things and they don't they never look happy because he's so angry. Yeah, and then he, and, like, and then he spoilers. has to he has to follow the flames of battle. <laughs> And turns himself into the demon of hatred. Um, yeah, it was an interesting one. Uh, and but to be fair, it seemed like that. What's that? What's the bad ninja guy's name that betrayed the clan? He seemed to be. He seemed to kind of uh, uh, yeah, build on the hatred, particularly more. toward his his end. Um, Gohe. Yeah, it's because he gets kind of lumped. He's the scapegoat. Yeah, and then he gets tortured and stuck in a prison cell. And tortured some more. And so, but I yeah, it's, see it, the... like the 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 camera itself takes time to just linger really long. I think on his like angry face. Yeah, he's like furious. Yeah, they they play with that a little bit in the um the Castle of Owls film. And what I did like, so we mentioned that Owls Castle has you know has some of the ninjutsu, uh, and the again the the, um the character of dogen does the little bit fancier more fanciful ninja kind of magic um in castle of owls they're they're using more 
they're using like shuriken, of course, but um, they use uh, smoke bombs, like yep. just hands of smoke to blind people or to to just confuse the battleground. They have um, specifically Juzo employs firecrackers in his battle with the uh. Dogen. So that part was cool. Um, and then there's a little thing they throw rocks at each other, like big rocks. <laughs> <laughs> rocks down a hill what i really liked was his infiltration of the um the castle in uh castle owls um he uh, i'd read it and i think in a um it's not the book of five rings there's another book that's specifically for ninjas i just don't recall what it's called off the top of my head but um there's a technique specifically where they have their ninja toes so the shorter um sword it's not a katana it's shaped a little differently and the um, the, the suba the, the hand guard is square and what you would do yep. is if you're trying to jump up on something you you place that in the corner uh, of a wall at like a 90 90 degree angle or a, i'm sorry a 45 degree angle and you can use the um the strong hilt of the sword as a stepping stool and then the yep. you, you'll have a um, a bit of string tied to the handle, so you can just pull the sword back up after you after you've used. I'm it sure I've seen that. Yeah, and they 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 do that specifically, so that was a a, a cool touch. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen that somewhere else in some other film. Um, something doing something similar. Yeah, I would probably say any of the Shinobi no Mono, like those original early ones, do a lot of that stuff too. But the, I was really excited about when the firecracker happened. <laughs> like just it's like he's a firecracker <laughs> he's throwing it in his face to, to scare him well, it, unfortunately it does seem like that was the better one and probably ties in the same way is the the, the, it, the it does carving it, no it, it, it doesn't have um that scene and it doesn't have the sculptor part so it was probably a better I, these just need to be watched together um and in doing so you'll understand the story because the, the castle owl was like lays it out very well. Yeah. I would say watch that first for anyone listening and then watch owls castle. So you'll, you'll go into that, not being confused by who's who and what's what <laughs> like me. Um, there, there's a couple extra <laughs> characters or I guess characters that are omitted a few plot points um, that change uh, in, in um, castle of owls, but they're, they, uh, I guess they don't really take away one way or the other. Um, the ending is arguably a little bit happier because of it in the older version. Um, it's not as like dour, but it's not really, and it's not like a whole lot happier. It's just like a little bit. Some of the steam is honestly, taken out. <laughs> okay. I honestly couldn't tell you what happens to Jezo at the end of the movie. Does he leave happily? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, there. Um, he he goes and lives with uh, Kohagi in the mountains. Uh, that's right. He just goes back to being because... a hermit, and it, nothing really ever mattered other than a lot of people died because he didn't kill the shogun. Because he let go Chose of his, he, he well he let go of his rage. That's that's what it comes down to is that Buddhist nature of you have this thing and you learn to let go of the worldly possessions yep. and and feelings and just. Well, I guess that's kind that of piece. cool. Um, it's positive, the one it's who... positive for that, for him. <laughs> that's kind of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it kind of switches the focus to our antagonist, the other, the, the betrayer, the ninja who betrayed. Yeah. I can't remember his name. <laughs> Gohei or Gohei. something? It's no. Gohei. And yeah, the, the other yeah, film Gohei. doesn't really do that. It doesn't give Gohei 
as as much screen time. Okay. And then Dogen was like, the guy they picked is pretty handsome in the new one, but the old Dogen was not. Uh, okay. He looked a lot more like a mountain ninja bandit guy in the old one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That is Owl's Castle. Not yeah. Howl's Castle. Owl's yeah, I know. Castle. And every time I try to type it in, I'm like, oh, no, no, not Howl. Owl's, Owl's Castle. Yeah. Are you talking about the famous cartoon by Studio Ghibli? No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> no, this one has ninjas. Um, also, I think that they spend a little bit of time um, discussing why the title is Owl's Castle in the old one, whereas they just show an owl in the new one. They're like, oh, look at yeah, owl. Yeah, there was no... <laughs> yeah, I didn't really see anything. Yeah, it was like um, ninjas are like owls and they're solitary and have to kill things and they want to just be a sparrow, but they can't because they're a predator in the night. Basically, that's what it boils down to. Nice. It's very poetic. It's more poetic when they were talking about it than what I just said. But Yeah, but it is. Yeah, I I can't tell you, say I like this movie that much. Yeah, I like, the, I, I like the idea of it and I liked the, scene, the scenery until they did all the weird computer stuff. Yeah, some of the special effects were terrible. Yeah, there was quite a bit that were terrible. That's a good way to put it. As you say, I like the idea of it, and I like the the setting and the some of the action. Yeah. But in general, I just no idea what's going on, and just what that made it unenjoyable. Yeah. So if you have to pick one, watch Castle of Owls. <laughs> it's it's the more <laughs> enjoyable film, and it's under nineteen sixty three, nineteen sixty three version. Um. 46 years ago yeah. 56 years ago i will say Heck. that i did lo- i did think that the um the actor uh so this is uh, uh nakai kichi uh, is the actor that played suzuru juzo in um the newer one i thought he was very charismatic charismatic guy he was and he actually looked very similar to the guy that they picked for um the original film like they okay. they, they lined that up pretty well the original uh, just, uh, uh, because of the disjointedness yeah. of the storytelling what the experience i had was mm-hmm. uh it just didn't fit like the character but as you've explained it to me it makes kind of sense like that's his persona he's putting on oh yeah no he's definitely like but he's they, they did a good job about having them pretend to be other people that was fun but it just made it seem like he was this this, this arrogant playboy when which makes no sense when he's supposed to be fighting for revenge for his clan. <laughs> like, yeah. But understanding more about the story now, because you've explained it to me in language that a child can understand, um, <laughs> it, it kind of makes sense. That's, that's just a persona he's putting on to present a different front. And that's kind of cool, but it just wasn't presented well in the film itself, I don't think. Yeah. No, I definitely advocate watching the the earlier film first, just for ease of you. Like it's just everything makes way more sense. Um, like I said, there's a couple extra characters that aren't in the later one, but they 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 serve to flesh out existing characters. Yep. So what what ends up doing is making some of the characters in this in um, Owl's Castle feel a little bit flat. So even though the movie's longer and there's more going on. Uh, there's nothing to foil against them. Yep. And that, and that's particularly the case with um, 
both Kohagi and Kisaru are done a disservice in the newer film. There, there's more time spent on their specific motivations and then kind of who they are as uh, um, women in uh, yep. the original one. Good. And you can't get them mixed up. They look completely like. Uh, uh, I guess the the biggest point of contention is uh, Kisaru in the original is like way younger. She's like fourteen or something. Oh, okay, so she's if, still quite young. Yeah, she's still really young. Um, maybe she's sixteen, but it's she doesn't look like Kohagi looks like an adult woman, and then Kisaru looks like a child. So yeah. It definitely makes some of the stuff like weirder because <laughs> Gohei is still going after her and you're just like, dude, no, she's like, she might as well just be your daughter. It's disturbing. Yeah. Again, in context of the time period. Oh, yeah, yeah. On, no, it's, it's despite not agreeing so... with it, <laughs> it, it makes more sense. Yeah, it makes yeah, sense in, this, in, the, in part of the story, but it also gives you more it's... understanding of the character because she... She doesn't do this. It's like they made her more proficient and more adult in the newer one. She's not even like involved with like the story really. Yeah. Um. In in the in the original, it's much a different. It's a different kind of role. And Kohagi, on the other hand, is given a lot more um, screen time and definitely more speaking and dealing with Juzo and and the problems that they have because it's it's almost like a romeo and juliet kind of situation i mean it specifically okay. is because they're from two rival ninja clans but they like each yeah, other sure. yeah. you know and they're they have to choose between putting work first or love and they lean toward the latter eventually but it in the beginning it's really just they're both just gonna work and that work means you know combating each other even if they have feelings for one another, it's it's really good. I I like it more like as I'm thinking about it. Cool. You no, know, I enjoyed watching. I would like I said I was kind of cram watching it, so I may have skipped through a few bits to kind of get the full movie um, in preparation. But uh, it, I definitely would watch that repeatedly. Whereas I I watched parts of the more recent one, so I just kind of remembered what was happening. But I didn't really feel like sitting through like a two and a half hour long movie. Um, it was long. It, it was long, and the, the other ones maybe like ninety minutes. Yeah, it's a lot shorter. Yeah. But yeah, so that's well, they... Owls Castle and Castle of Owls, uh, and Lone Wolf and Cub, and a bit of Sekiro. We did we did quite a few things this episode. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I like Sekiro, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any excuse to talk about it for a little bit. Uh, yep, I'm a big fan. Very good game. But I think that wraps us up. I think we've talked way too long. Well, I have at least. Yep, yep. Yeah, we, I think we, we had about almost two hours, close to it. Hope um, you all enjoy the slightly longer anniversary episode. And we'll be back to our regular shenanigans um, next time when, uh, when when that ever occurs. Because um, top, top topic has been yeah. announced. Yes, it has. coming. Yes. And I've been watching the trailer a few times for uh, Master Z. I'm like really excited about that one. Nice. That'll be good because that's the um, the tale of the uh, the other Wing Chun master that he battled at the end of uh, Yip Man 3. Yeah, it's cool to have the kind of two different 
Yeah, like a little, a, a little like, spin-off. Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of like I'm imagining they're going to be kind of parallel in timing, and so it's cool having the it's parts four and four and four point five kind of scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it, and it has uh, Michelle Yeoh, isn't it, as well as um, uh, Batista. So it'll be yeah, it's gonna be good. Interesting, interesting cast. So we'll get to that when it arrives later this summer, I think. Nice, hopefully. Yeah, so I think that that wraps us up. Um, Vader, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, it's Vader Van Odin at places. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter mainly at sentient underscore plus. It will be in the notes uh, for both of those links. Uh, yeah. So we'll see you next time for something else, something new, and something probably more kung fu than ninjas, but we'll see. Bye-bye, y'all.